That was the J cut and this is the K cut. I'm Rachel. I write for Film Fatale about lost film and about uh, world cinema. And I'm here with my co-host. Introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers of Films Fatale. Um, I adore international cinema, art house stuff, but everything in between, as uh, we're probably going to get into. Uh, who else is with us? James here, content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer to Say podcast, part of the Films Fatale writing team. And uh, my passions primarily lie in 70s cinema and no-budget cinema. And this week was my turn to pick the episode, and I thought it might be fun to kind of do a little retrospective on our cinematic smorgasbord. We touched on this a bit in an episode when we hit the year mark of the show, but I don't, we didn't really go in depth. So I thought it might be fun because we've done over a year of the smorgasbord since we started a bit later than the show started. And yeah, and uh, first episode or first half of the episode is going to be uh, individual picks that were our favorites. And the second half will be collective picks that were our favorites. And the only rule I had was you can't pick one that you suggested yourself. Oh, there goes all yeah. my picks. Uh, well, okay, uh, that was the K-cut. Now we're signing off. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, um, I think it's a good caveat to have because uh, the whole point of the Cinematic Smorgasbord is to expand our tastes and rediscover new things because all three of us are cinephiles. When it comes to our loved ones, we're typically the, the bastions of everything cinema. They come talking to us. Yet when we talk amongst each other, I don't know much about either of your tastes, you know, when it comes to what you, your, where your expertise lie and vice versa. So this is like the one opportunity where we really get to have a show and tell, learn something new. So let's, let's absolutely exercise what we've learned and what we've uh, discovered. Thanks to our colleagues. Quick question. Can we pick something? Can I pick, say a movie that James assigned to Andreas, for example, where it wasn't meant for me or uh, is the only rule? Like oh, your that's own? fine. Okay. That's fine. You can Ooh. you can pick as long as it wasn't one that you suggested. We can pick each other's suggestions also. Okay, that expands it a little. Yeah, I actually did not take that into consideration. Um, I'm gonna go with the ones that were assigned to me, or you know the uh, the collective picks, nonetheless, because I like discovering things. So that's just what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, who wants to go first? I, mean, I can go since it was it was my idea. So I probably should kick things okay. off. So what's your favorite individual pick and why? I'll have to go with... I'm probably going to go with Imar Bergman's Persona. Because it's the greatest thing ever created? <laughs> well, it was definitely... It was very thought-provoking. It was definitely a masterwork in all of cinematic history. But I think it was more so the adventure I decided to go on and watching everything he made before that. That was a cool extra step. Especially because it was Persona was a complete 180 from everything he did. So it was like, I'm seeing, you know, the evolution of somebody who's very much, he's got that eye for cinema, you know, he's got the eye for storytelling. And then for him to just create a work 20 years into his career, just shatter the conventions of just cinema in general was just jaw dropping. Yeah, it, it was, it's an incredible film. And like, if any film fans are listening and haven't seen it, go out and see it. It was a really good one to have on our smorgasbord, especially with someone reacting for the first time. It was also my favorite reaction when I dropped the bomb that I had watched all those movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we flipped out. Yeah, because you seemed MIA for a little bit, and it's like, okay, maybe he's working on a project or something, and uh, boy, were you ever. So <laughs> he, was, he was off in Sweden. <laughs> you, you went off to Bergman's Islands, and uh, yeah, you, you had to go on location to watch all the stuff, and you really soaked it in. 
uh, for listeners at home, he didn't actually go to Sweden. It's just a joke. Yeah. But <laughs> I might as well have gone at that point. <laughs> you know it well by this point. Yeah, it was just it was, it was just a good time overall. I think it was also it's one of those films. It's like it's always been on my list. And the thing I like about the smorgasbord is with the taste you two have, it forces me to sit down and watch things that I have always intended to, but just never do. Yeah, I feel I don't feel the same way because I've tried to force myself to watch everything on my to watch list. Uh, with the two of you, I feel more like it's stuff that I just forgot about or that. I just never even knew of, so I feel like it's very uh, it's very beneficial to me in that respect. I guess, uh, do I have anything else to say about Persona? I, I guess that kind of works as a really nice segue. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good on what I said. <laughs> uh, so, on my end, I feel like there were quite a few that I really want to shout out as uh, honorable mentions, uh, particularly Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I would say George Washington for the uh, uh, for both of your picks. Um, the one I'm going to have to go with, especially because it's one that I wanted to watch and I just completely forgot to do so, is uh, the uh, fantastic, depressing film, Au Revoir, Les Enfants, uh, directed by Louis Mel. It's one that I've been wanting to watch for a while. It's uh, declared by many to be an emotional masterpiece, a depressing masterpiece, and I can easily see why. It's uh, While I feel like I've discovered a lot of very interesting films and I can't wait to get into the collective pick that I've selected, I feel like of the ones that were I had never seen before until now, this one takes the cake for sure. This is like the one where I can say, oh yeah, that is like, I, I understand why so many people adore it. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, recently, I stumbled across an article that um, the Vatican put out, and it was in 1995, and they picked 45 what they called great films. So some of them were artistic merits, some of them had explicit religious content. Um, I hear the Vatican's big on religion. And <laughs> they had a section for values, and this was examples of films from any perspective that exhibited good values that humans should follow. And Au revoir les enfants is on that list. And I think that's a very apt placing for it, considering all the heroic acts we see within that movie. I'm happy you brought that up because it seems, uh, when a lot of people think of art, it seems contradictory to get like religion involved or anything. But I do recommend, uh, and it sounds like you've, you've uh you know, scrutinized it a little bit. I, I do recommend looking at what the Vatican deems as like good cinema because they have some really, really strong picks. Yeah, uh, it's like there's no movie on that list. I would say is an absolute clunker in terms of quality. So, yeah, they 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 do have really good taste, and I feel like they are appreciative of uh, spiritual or morally conscious works that really deserve to be talked about. Uh, case in point, Autofalles Enfant, and I don't want to go into the plot too too much like Persona, for a completely different reason, unless you know the better about this one, but I do highly recommend it, and again, I, I see why it's it's so adored, and it it's one that I would love to revisit again down the road. I don't know how emotional it's going to make me, but I'm prepared for it. I think it's just uh, beautiful, effective, and yeah, it's sensational. Yeah, um, I... Again, this is a film anybody should see. When we get into this amount of film trading, we come up with some all-time greats, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, it absolutely deserves to be amongst that 
discussion or at least of the best of the 80s or the best of its own nation, whatever it might be, it's it's an opus. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rachel? What are you going to pick as your favorite individual pick that you were assigned or somebody else was assigned? Well, my favorite, like my total favorite out of all of them is, of course, Cannibal the Musical, because it's crazy <laughs> and it's it's completely irreverent and Stan Brackage is inexplicably in it. And I need to know how that conversation went. But it also, I don't think, is the best in terms of quality. So I thought about it and I think what one that really stood out to me was Days of Heaven which was, I think, the very first one I was ever assigned. Okay, I, speaking of ones that I think the Vatican love. Was it on that list? I don't remember. Anyway, Days of Heaven, uh, one of the earliest films of Terrence Malick, and it was assigned to me by Andreas. God, this movie's gorgeous. You can totally see the sort of cinematographic heights that Malick would reach later in his career. Um, it's got some a great early performance by Richard Gere. Um and it's just this strange little meditation on a very simple story that somehow encompasses all the values of human good and evil. It, it kind of reminded me of Sunrise a lot in that way. Um, and there's the whole urban-rural divide and just a really, really complex film. And it's quite short and quite sparse, which I find very interesting, that it packs so much into so little. What I like about it is that it it affects every audience member in a different way, and while it's been influential for years, I feel like, especially in recent memory, I've seen enough films that really remind me of it, even though it's, like, around 50 years old at this point. So I'm talking about, like, even Best Picture winner Nomad Land and almost Best Picture winner um, The Power of the Dog really remind me of this film with their uses of sepia, minimalism, um, you know, capturing life as it is without Hollywoodizing it. I, yeah, I I adore this film. Yeah, uh, I'm really glad you recommended it to me. Oh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. I don't recall how familiar with Terrence Malick are you in general. I've seen a couple of his films here and there, but nowhere near his whole career or anything. Yeah, luckily he doesn't have too many. I've seen all but his latest. Um, It's easy to decide which are his weakest films, but to, to decide his magnum opus, like his greatest film is really tough because even something like Tree of Life or another film like The Third Nerd Line, which is quite different from the rest of his works or something underrated like The New World, like where do you go when it comes to like his greatest achievement? Could it be Days of Heaven? Yeah. Honestly, I'm just, I'm a total Malik apologist. I don't care what he makes or how good it is. I will still watch it anyway. Yeah, me too. Because To the Wonder isn't great, but it's still something to see me too absolutely i feel like his his worst film is still fantastic which is not bad it's not bad um so it sounds like we're all collectively agreeing on that shall we get into our collective picks and which were our favorites yeah let's do it so yeah in the same order outside of what we selected for the group to watch even though we didn't really know how good or bad they would have been uh, i still feel like uh, are we still doing that rule for the collective picks yes yeah that makes sense okay fantastic yeah so james uh let's go in the same order then what is your favorite collective pick so it's really hard because i always really enjoy the collective pick because i actually think was i the one who suggested the collective pick I think you did because you you picked our first one which was shaft and i think you actually introduced the concept yeah yeah, well, because I thought it'd be fun because we were introducing stuff to each other, and I thought, like, hey, why don't we all pick a film we all haven't seen? I'm gonna go with, yeah, I'm gonna go with the time Rachel picked Dracula. Oh yeah, 
the original 1930s one because it was mainly to watch the Spanish one. So if we hadn't seen uh, the American and the Spanish one, I ended up doing a double feature. And it was a great thing to experience because before, you know, just dubbing for international languages was a thing, they would make whole different versions of the film in another language. And I just thought it was so interesting because... Well, the the Bela Lugosi one was is obviously a classic. I almost wish he was in the Spanish version because there's things in the Spanish version I liked better than the American version. Yeah, I thought the Spanish version was overall a stronger film, except for Lugosi, because Lugosi you just can't do better than. Sorry. Yeah, it was just it was just a fun experience, especially as a compare and contrast because one was shot at during the day and the other one was simultaneously shot at night. <laughs> So, you know, these two films being crafted, you know, they're two different visions, but they're supposed to be the same thing just for different audiences. But, you know, it does so much more than just being something for an international crowd. Yeah, uh, what I liked about this one is I I always enjoy the episodes most where we dive into film history. So this one was more a concept than introducing a particular movie. So I would love to do a repeat of that one of the times it's my turn to pick Smorgasbord again. I'm really happy that I didn't pick this one because uh, I was very close to doing it. I feel like while I may have I may have preferred some of the other films, I just loved again the the concept behind it and how uh, informative it is in a different way, not a subjective. Have I discovered a new film that I like? But an eye opening, uh, even though I was aware of this, still to see it happening. Um, this is what happened back in the day. And I've seen multiple works of the same film, you know, in different languages. So like, um, even what Werner Herzog's done a few times. Um, so this isn't, you know, this isn't a new concept to me, but still to be able to, to embrace something as iconic and universally beloved as Dracula and see essentially it's sister film was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. For me, because I didn't go with Dracula, but I was very close. I was mightily close. I I did end up going with one of our earliest picks. And I'm not going to lie, it's because of how unusual it is. And it's one that I've been wanting to see for a while, especially because somebody like Roger Ebert has sung its praises. That's Me and You and Everyone We Know by Miranda July. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then we discovered that movie was really problematic and we had a big argument about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like... Um, it, it certainly was uh, a talking piece of a film, and it's, again, it, it's very hard to discuss on a podcast like this, especially when loved ones are listening, but I feel like it has that certain je ne sais quoi, where only certain filmmakers can make something this, I, I guess as you said, problematic, or this provocative, this challenging on a, on a, like a domestic you know, personal level um, without seeming like they themselves are a creep. And it was a relic of its era as well, I would say. Yeah, that's why uh, Ebert uh, championed it as one of the best films of the 2000s, like back when uh, the year 2009 hit and he made his his, his, uh, list of the top 10, I think, of the decade. Um, It's quite idiosyncratic i don't know if i feel quite as highly as ebert does to place it that high but i will say that miranda miranda july has her own cinematic voice that i feel like still has yet to be really really mirrored or or done justice by others so i mean there's that yeah and she's so multimedia like you've got her short short stories her spoken word like she's just so multi-talented 
Yeah, if I remember correctly, Rachel, didn't you confuse this with another film? I did. I confused it with Imagine Me and You, which is, uh, it's a comedy, and it's completely different from this. Which, technically, we didn't get around to doing on the Smorgasbord one. We easily could have. We could have said, oops, we messed up. Let's do it the next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it wasn't as traumatizing as Sergeant Kabuki Man. So No, no, that that was maybe our Hall of, <laughs> sorry, James, Hall of Shame one. <laughs> Uh, speaking of problematic ones, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, uh, <laughs> I, it's one of those ones where I felt kind of in pain watching it, but in hindsight, it's one of those ones where in my mind reflecting back on it, I'm like, man, this film is so ridiculous. Uh, it, it seems more fun in my head reflecting on it, so I'm kind of scared to actually revisit it and be like, is this better or worse than I remember? But it's, it's certainly, uh, unique. Let's say. Whenever James picks, you always get something you've never seen before or anything like it. Or anything that I would ever, uh, ever attempt to see outside of, you know, Shaft and, you know, Under the Cherry Moon, because I do love Prince, which, uh, rest in peace, Prince. So by the time we're recording this, this is, uh, his sixth anniversary of his passing. But nonetheless, yeah, Sergeant Kabuki Man never would have imagined. (laughs) Rachel, what's your favorite collective? Okay, well, I'm going to ditch the favorite over quality one. I'm going to go with Disco Dancer, which was (laughs) popping off the screen with amazing energy and incredible dance numbers and just had so much heart and so much appeal. And it was popular all over the world. And it had a really fascinating history behind it. And it is still beloved to this day. And I just really had a great time. So that is why I picked that one. I don't think I'll ever top that pick. (laughs) Ever. I still have the song stuck in my head. I have one stuck in my head right now. I uh, didn't know that that's where uh, one of my favorite M.I.A. songs came from. I didn't realize it was a cover from from a song from this film. And uh, yeah, my my ears perked up in a very Pavlovian way. <laughs> I was like, oh, I recognize this. And uh, you know, instantly had an attachment to the film, you know, if I didn't have one already, because it's just such a... It almost reminds me of like the same type of enjoyment I get out of a spaghetti western or something where the film itself is well made, but perhaps not with the budget of something that, you know, would have tried something similar. It was made purely with love and heart. And at the same time, it's it's kind of like the heart and soul of cinema where you don't need the money and the perfected effects and everything to connect with people. Yeah. Disco Dancer is a riot. I love it. Yeah. For sheer enjoyment, I would pick that one as my favorite collective. Yeah, it was definitely. <laughs> yeah, I just I happened to see someone like on Twitter post like a clip of it, and I was like, "That seems interesting." So I was kind of had it saved to watch it eventually, and then I thought of it for this. I was like, "You know what? I'm sure no one else has heard of this. Let's do it." I read in the comments on YouTube, one person said, "When this played in the Soviet Union, my mother went to see it 17 times and always had to stand at the back of the theater because there was no room to sit." Wow. Yeah. It was popular. That's that re- crazy. 17 That record times. would eventually be broken by that guy who saw um, Spider-Man No Way Home 300 times in a theater, which uh, I, I wish I had that kind of money to throw around and that time. Or that but. time. Yeah. That's like what? It's two and a half hours long or something? Like over two hours anyway. Yeah. Like I uh, – the film I've seen the most – it's probably Charade, if not Mulholland Drive. And even then, I never, ever, ever wish to watch either of those 300 times, let alone in a theater in the capacity of, like, four months. 
So I'm good. <laughs> there are a lot yeah, of young parents out there who have unwillingly seen Frozen 300 times who are laughing at you right now. That's that's true, but like it, at least I wasn't all in a theater and they didn't have to wait until the credits were finished for the record to stand and yeah, <laughs> at least they could be on their phones. I don't know, like this this <laughs> just seems like a level of cinephilia I'll never understand. I don't want to be too judgmental, so at least somebody loves film in a way that I guess not many other people could muster. I mean, that's a lot of cinematic time. Before we actually start wrapping up, does anybody have like any favorite reactions to something that they suggested? Well, James, I wasn't sure if you were going to like holiday because it's not really your usual style. And I loved how much you connected with it. And like, you took exactly from it what I did, and that that just made me really happy because I wasn't sure whether you were going to like it at all. <laughs> it's hard not to identify with that movie, being like a millennial and dealing with the same issues that they deal with in this movie. It was also just really entertaining. George Cooker was a revolutionary. <laughs> um, for me... I feel like the one that I feel like was like the most amusing has already been covered, but I'll shout it out anyway. It's uh, Rachel watching Cannibal the Musical because I, I didn't expect Rachel that you would like it as much as you did. Like that's just incredible. But instead, I will go with uh, James. You liking the piano because I feel like the piano is something that um, just. And now, I feel like now, because of Criterion and Jane Campion being back in the limelight, it's being talked about again in, uh, you know, as it should have been. But for years, it was like this one movie where every time I would say, I love the piano, people would say, you love The Pianist by Roman Polanski, which I also like. But like, no, this is The Piano. It's a completely different film. And being able to share that was was quite something. And you, you never know, because The Piano is such a, it's such a period piece film without also being your typical period piece film. So I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but I'm glad it went okay. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been disappointed in any any of the picks. It's 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 an opportunity for me to learn about things that I just, once again, I just don't either have time for or just flat out haven't gotten to yet. I'd have to say one of my favorite reactions was <laughs> the reaction to Greg Araki's Nowhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it's one of those films, it's like... It, it it's like it's it's one of those films where it's like you feel like you're not supposed to enjoy it as much as you enjoy it and it's not supposed to be as like captivating or as interesting as it is but somehow Gregoraki seems to just like he hit this really sh- interesting sweet spot with his style where it's like literally like nothing you've ever seen and before it or after it yeah yeah it's uh i i feel like you like picking things either because you like sharing your love of, of low budget indie films and how they're made for those who haven't seen them, or you like getting a rise out of us. So I feel like you, you live for that response. Well, yeah, I, 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 I like to keep it interesting because it's like, you know, because I also want it to be fun sometimes, but a lot of my picks, I definitely try to gear things towards your sensibilities while being in my realm. So it's like picking under the cherry moon was obviously Andreas, me and your Prince fans, but it was also, it's like, it's done in a style of classic Hollywood, like Rachel likes, or I do something like George Washington, which is very much an art house film, but it's low budget in my room, but something that you would enjoy because of how spiritual it is. 
That's interesting. Uh, with you, James, I just tend to draw on the classic era a lot, like the golden age Hollywood, because I know you don't have a lot of coverage there. And with Andreas, I just write down every movie he's never seen and just pick from that list. <laughs> like if he says, I haven't seen that, I'm like, okay, going on the list. Which I'm sure when you first started recommending me films, I'm, I'm sure the list was like five. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm sure it's grown a little bit more now because we've uh, we've actually discussed more of my, my lapses in cinematic journeying but uh yeah when it comes to what i like recommending i honestly i'm the kind of person where when i see something that i love i don't like to cling on to it like it's my film i just love sharing it as much as possible so if i know one of my favorites or something that i just absolutely adore hasn't been seen by either of you i'll recommend it if not i also additionally uh love trying to find stuff of my wheelhouse that might pertain to either of you. So, uh, for instance, James, uh, why I picked a Dario Argento film. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite film of all time, but I feel like of the films that I like, this is a James one. And I hope that I picked correctly. I oh, guess it we'll totally was. <laughs> we'll find out very soon in that upcoming episode. But, um, yeah, and as for the collective picks, it's stuff that I just didn't get around to, and I, I like sharing it with everybody, so... For me, collective is process of elimination. It's just so hard to pick something between the three of our film tastes that nobody's seen. Yeah, actually, that's that's a fair point. It's probably a complete nightmare because I've watched too much. Uh, Rachel, you've watched too much from the past. And uh, both of us combined, we've watched too much internationally. And then James is everything in between where it's like, haven't heard of it. James has seen it. So it, it's, it's really tough to pick something that neither of us have seen. That, that's how it's easy for me to pick for you guys, because it's like, oh, I know they haven't seen this one. Exactly. And then for the collective, I just think like, what's something interesting that I know no one would it would be on anybody's radar? Yeah, so uh, everybody at home, you can imagine how tough it is to pick a film that all three of us have not seen without picking, I don't know, bottom of the barrel garbage. So to try and pick something that's actually worthwhile, it's not easy. So um, nonetheless, where can our listeners find us? And what are we watching for the next episode of the Cinematic Smorgasbord? Well, our next Smorgasbord is for May, which I still refuse to accept because it cannot possibly be May already. And so our collective pick is going to be O Pagador de Promesas, uh, which is a Brazilian movie. And then our individual picks are Trances, Opera, and I am blanking on the last one... Booty Dang, the one I watched. I watched it like three weeks ago, so it's practically gone from my memory. Okay, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the K-Cut. All right, shall we do random recommendations? All right, um, should we maybe randomly recommend something related to our smorgasbords? Sure. Do you have anything in mind? Um, either a random one from the list or maybe like... Something from a from a similar filmmaker that you recommended, anything like that. Ah, okay, that's pretty interesting. So we were bringing up Terrence Malick before, and I was asking, you know, what is his greatest film? And you know, there are so many answers that I that I discussed. You know, Tree of Life, Thin Red Line, Days of Heaven. Some people might say Badlands, his first film. This isn't one of his best, but that's kind of why I want to, you know, spotlight it a little bit. I'm going to go with the Terrence Malick film, Knight of Cups. 
I feel like of his post-Tree of Life stuff, it's one of his most interesting works because I feel like To the Wonder, Song to Song, uh, that type of stuff kind of gets bogged down a little bit as, you know, considerably boring or just far-fetched when it comes to his, uh, to his style. But I feel like Night of Cups gets lumped in that category as well when it shouldn't. I feel like it's one of his better post-Tree of Life works. And I feel like it's a great exploration of egotism of um, lust over love or trying to find one's, one's place in life uh, over materialism um, and yeah equating our life choices ambitions and whatnot with tarot cards past lovers all sorts of stuff I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with Knight of Cups so I'm gonna go with that interesting uh, well I like to recommend um one of my favorite genres is the sort of realistic apocalypse. So there's nothing um, supernatural about it. There's not really a lot of action. Just humanity knows they're going to die and you observe their reactions to it. So I recommended one each from this genre, actually. James was When the Wind Blows and Andreas on the Beach. And so I'm going to take a little bit of... I may have recommended this one before, but I'll go for it again. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which is a sinfully underrated comedy all about the end of the world. Um, definitely go check it out. I'm going to go with Kaboom by Greg Araki. Just because he's a filmmaker I bring up often, and I've suggested several of his films at this point. So I think I suggested... Nora to Andreas, Splendor to Rachel, and I think Mysterious Skin was also to Andreas, correct? Yep, that was one of my first ones. Oh yeah, that was early. Um, yeah, that might have actually been the first one. No, the first one I suggest you was Mona Lisa. All right, okay, so it might have been. Second I think it might have been second. But yeah, second Kaboom! You, uh, yeah. Kaboom is more of like a return to form because after Splendor, it had been five years. It, in between that and Mysterious Skin, and Mysterious Skin is based on a novel, and it was more of a dramatic piece. And then after that, he did this film I still have to see. It's called uh, Smiley Face, and it's a stoner comedy that stars Anna Ferris. And I don't know anything really about the movie other than it's a stoner comedy. And then he comes out with Kaboom. And Kaboom is kind of like, it's not only a return to form, it's kind of like a greatest hits. You just see all these elements that you saw in his earlier, more underground work. And uh, it's fun. It's, um, you know, it's got, it's got James Duvall in it, which when I saw that, I was just, it just made me so happy because he was such played such a vital role in his earlier works and uh yeah it's just i don't know what i find interesting i think i don't usually recommend later films by as a starter film but if you want to get into his works i'd recommend that as something more recent if you want to check out something more recent of his awesome which uh to be honest i completely forgot about mona lisa entirely i would include that as like an honorary second place for like my favorite individual recommendation absolutely love that film um Unless, enough about that, otherwise we'll be here all day, clearly. We can just so, recommend all the movies uh, we ever assigned, except Sergeant Kabuki Man. <laughs> or especially, depending on who you want to show it to. So, <laughs> that, that was the K-Cut. Um, thank you for listening, and tune in next week, I believe, is our next Cinematic Smorgasbord, so this is quite relevant. So, um, nonetheless, that was the K-Cut. We are now going into the L-Cut. Bye.